We're glad you're here, whatever side you may be on. We're glad you're here. So I just wanted to tell you that the, uh, the village people started heading home today. Yeah, so if the roads get busy, you'll understand why. They, they started leaving at 1 o'clock this morning. It's all our villages upstairs. We, we, we put them all away today, so, so they're headed home. They go into their, uh, they go into their um, uh, summer home. They just come down for Christmas, and uh, so the roads may look busy. I'm sorry if, if it gets too busy out there. Uh, all right. Are you ready to hear the word tonight? All right. Well, let's just bless the Lord. Father, we bless you. We honor you. We glorify you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace. Thank you, Father, for your mercy, your loving kindness, Father. Thank you for your righteousness that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you are, for all that you do. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your goodness, that your eye is upon us, your ear is open to us, and your arm is always stretched out towards us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You are the great God, the great King, the mighty God, the everlasting Lord, the majestic one. You are mighty. You are wonderful. We bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that as we come before you and we sit at your feet today that we'll be taught of your spirit to receive impartations of revelation into our heart. Lord, our heart is open to hear from heaven today, and I thank you that because of the anointing that comes on the word, that yokes are broken. I thank you that because your word comes with your anointing and revelation that the power of hell cannot stand against it, that we are the victorious and overcoming, overcoming ones. I thank you, Lord, that you've made it so, not because we are an overcomer, because your word in our heart and in our mouth and in our life makes us to be an overcomer. For we know the truth, and walking in that and experiencing that truth makes us free. We thank you and bless you and praise you in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen, Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, let's open up. Whether you're here on live stream, podcast, let's open up to Ephesians 3.16. Hallelujah, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Ephesians 3.16. Pastor Tim, can I have some lights, please? Thank you. It says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Well, let's look at it in the Passion Translation. I love the way it says it in the Passion Translation. It says, and I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor, until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Hallelujah. That he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and his favor, and favor we know is grace. All right? 
the unlimited riches. You know, j just to try to think that just boggles your mind. You know, because we're living at the level that we believe is the highest that there is. Don't we? Otherwise, we'd be pressing in for more, wouldn't we? Well, we can't press in for more unless we get an understanding of and a revelation of the riches of his grace more and more and more. It is unlimited. See, if, if his grace is unlimited, then should our faith ever come to an end? No, no. If grace is unlimited, then there's more than what we received. Life is more than what I have right now. No matter how good it may be, life is more than what it is right now. Amen. Amen. And the unfortunate part about that is that every time people hear that statement, life can be more, they think money. And people are like, I've got enough money. I've got enough. Who said anything about money? I know a lot of creeps that have money. Not you. No, nobody in this room. <laughs> you know, there's more to life than just money. Having a better life is not just about money. You can be a better person. I know, I know, I know that that's a hard concept to get a hold of. But we could be a better person. Amen. So if there is more and the grace is unlimited, are we pressing in for it or are we just satisfied with where we are? And that's always a very important question because the answer to that question will determine whether you grow or whether you're stagnant. If we're satisfied with where we are, well, are we pressing in then to be able to be a blessing and have influence in another person's life? Are we pressing in so that we can be in position to give the Holy Spirit an occasion to move through us? See, because when we say life can be better, it's not just about me, myself, and I. What does God want to do through us? And I'm just going to take a wild, make a wild statement right here. And I'm going to say that God's not doing everything through us that he wants to do. But it's not up to him, is it? No, it's up to us getting into position, opening our heart, and making ourselves available to God. You know, we always heard this when we first got saved. It's not about ability. It's about availability. God will talk through stammering lips. He don't need your ability. He needs your availability, to be available to him for him to move through us. Isn't that right? So are we pressing in to be in a position to be used of God? Hallelujah. That you would be strengthened, that supernatural strength would flood your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. I remember sitting in a meeting back in 1993, and for the whole year of 1994, that was an absolute reality of my innermost being filled with his divine might and explosive power. At every place I went, power just boomed right on out. It was explosive every time I went. I mean, the, the, on the inside, continually, it was just like this for a whole year. God wanting to move and do things. And people would say to me, what's happened to you? Jesus. 
<laughs> Praise God. Amen. Amen. So then, you know, so the question would be then, why is it that after a year that that would stop? Because it was a year of getting used to that. So that then God would have the availability to move anytime he wants to, because it's not new anymore. See, this is why God does things in an over-exaggerated way. Because he wants you to get used to what he's doing. Not because he's moving from one thing, oh, that's done, oh, that's finished, we, we're going to go on to something. No, 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 God is never finished. He's moving on and adding to what he's done. So he wants you to get so used to what he's doing so that anytime he wants to move through you, you've already developed the habit. Do you think that when Ananias was sitting in his easy chair in his living room and the Lord came and said, Ananias, I want you to go pray for Saul, who's killing you all. Yeah. Now, do you think that was the first time the Lord ever spoke to Ananias? Probably not. How do you know that? Because he didn't come shaking the building to let him know, hey, Ananias, this is me. All he did was say, Ananias, he said, that you, Lord. See, he knew. He was in position and ready. Amen. Hallelujah. So we need to be strengthened. Verse 17 in the New American Standard. It says, so that, and we know so that means in order that or for this reason that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love in order that Christ would dwell in your heart. Now, who is Paul speaking to? Believers. These are people that are born again, new creatures in Christ, right? And he's telling them that you have to be strengthened in your inner man by the Holy Ghost so that Christ could dwell in your heart through faith. So that tells me that being born again is not the end all. People think, oh, well, we're saved and we have faith and that's it. Son, you just hit step one. You've been at step one for the last 30 years. He's trying to settle down in your heart and dwell in you through faith. Amen. The word dwell in the, in the Greek, it means that he would settle down and feel at home. You know, you can go to some people's homes and you feel welcome, but you're not settled in. You get to sit in the living room and use the restroom. That's it. <laughs> now, if your family comes over, they're very settled. They go in the refrigerator. They do everything, go in any room that they want to. Because they're settled in. They feel at home. Isn't that right? Well, Christ wants to settle down and feel at home in your heart. So he says that you would be strengthened in your inner man so that in order that for the reason being that Christ would dwell, settle down and feel at home in your heart. So this Christ settling down in your heart is the climatic explanatory force of the permanency of strength. This is not just I feel a little strong today, but then no, this is a permanency of strength. And the climax of that is Christ settled down and feels at home in your heart. Amen. 
So again, it's not just about being born of the Holy Spirit. It's not just being about a new creature in Christ, but it's about now moving on into maturity of being strengthened so that Christ could settle down and feel at home in us. In other words, how do you know when you're settled down? How do you know when you feel at home in somebody's house? You have total access. You know, the UPS man, he has access to your front porch and he brings deliveries, but he's not coming in for coffee. And then somebody else may have access to your foyer. Somebody else has access to your living room and your restroom. But somebody that has total access can go into any room, any time. In fact, somebody could be so at home that you walk in one of your spare bedrooms and they're laying down on the bed. They got tired. And you're like, oh, okay, they're sleeping. <laughs> See, but it's okay because they're at home. Why does Jesus want to get settled down and feel at home in your house? You, in you, your, the house, you. Why does he want to feel at home? He owns the house. Why don't you settle down and feel at home in your house? Well, it's because you own the house. It's where you live. He owns the house. But he needs your permission to have access. He wants to have access into your rudeness so he can change it. He wants to have uh, uh, access into your uh, ungratefulness so he can change that. He wants to have access into your love situation so he can change that. He can't change things where he can't go. He can't change things when you shut the door and say, I'm not letting you in there. He can't change things when all you want to read in the Bible is about walking in health and having money. He can't change your life. You're not giving him access. He wants you to read things like, consider your body dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He wants to have access. He wants you to read things like that, get it in your heart. He wants you to read things that says, pull down that stronghold and cast down those imaginations. He wants you to get those things in your heart so he can have access into your life. He wants you to read things that says, put off anger and wrath and malice and slander. He wants you to read things like that and get them in your heart so he can have access into your life. Because that may be the very thing holding up your health and prosperity that you want so much. Don't shout me down. Are you with me? Verse 17, the Passion Translation of verse 17. It says, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Ooh, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Constantly using faith. So this is not just have faith in Jesus, but this is about using faith in order to live by it. Isn't that right? So this is not a living in the faith. You know what the faith is, right? The faith is faith in Jesus 
for salvation. That is the faith. But it's not a living in the faith of Jesus as Lord as though something's going to magically happen. You talk to people and they'll say, well, I have faith. Well, they're talking about the faith, the faith in Christ for salvation. Well, that won't heal you. That won't deliver you. That won't protect you. That won't help you. That'll get you to heaven. But you'll get the nonsense beat out of you from here to there. Are you with me? No, it's about using faith for living that comes by hearing the word of God. Using faith for living that comes by and only comes by and is only the word of God. Only. You know, I, I prayed for a woman one time. She came up for prayer and uh, I was going to lay hands on her. And I said, what did you need? She says, I need healing. I said, do you believe God can do that? She goes, I do. I said, why? That's where you get people. Why don't you say why? Lester Summerall used to be real good at that. Uh, Dean Rackey that we knew, he was a driver. He drove for Lester Summerall. And after Brother Summerall's meetings, Dean would get him in the car to drive him back to the hotel and he'd go, Brother Summerall, that was such a great meeting. Give me three points. <laughs> if you knew Summerall, he was just rough as could be. Give me three points, he says. <laughs> you know, he never said that again. Brother Summerall, you had a good, that was a good, he never said that again. <laughs> Unless he wrote down three points. <laughs> so I said to her, so why? Well, because I believe God can heal me. Why? Why do you believe that? Why? Well, because um, I, I need to be healed. Well, why do you believe God can heal you? Because um, uh, God would heal me. Why? Why, 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 why? And it went on until finally she said what the Word of God said. I go, well, now we know why you believe that. You really didn't know why. You had to really dig down deep to find out why. It should have been right there. Which means what? She wasn't really believing for healing. She wanted it, but she wasn't believing for it. Are you with me? So, using faithful living that comes by hearing the word of God. Jesus is the word. So as you hear the word, you ponder the word, you, you meditate the word, revelation and understanding of the word comes to us. And then you can use your faith. And your faith based on the word, which is Jesus. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. When you put the word in your life, you're putting Jesus in your life. When the word gets released into your life, Jesus is getting released into your life. Just like that verse, that Christ would dwell. Well, how much of Christ dwells in you? How much of the word dwells in you? Amen. Amen. You know, my dad said to me one time, he says, I, I see Romans chapter 10, where you can accept Jesus and receive Jesus, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you can be saved. He goes, but Isaiah 53 he bore my sickness and diseases. How do you do that? Well, that's a good question. And the way you do it is going to be different than the way you do it. Because it's based on a revelation to you. God was kind enough to give you the actions to get saved. 
And you notice that when he gave you the actions about getting saved, you didn't get saved until you really wanted to. It wasn't like, well, I think I should do this. You know, well, you know, maybe I'll do that. No, 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 no. It, was like, it wasn't until you really got an understanding that you needed to be saved. So that's why we have to ponder and meditate on the Word of God so that understanding could come and then we can make application into our life. Because he says very plainly, by his stripes you're healed. How do you do that? And it's different in every situation. <laughs> now, some people go, oh, well, by his stripes I'm healed and that's it. No, that's not it. That's only the beginning of it. You just declared what you believe. Now you've got to go down the road to receive it. Amen. That he would be the source and the root of your life. The source and the root of our life. When we got born again, Jesus became the foundation in our spirit life. Well, the word of God has become the foundation in our soulish life. Because that's what affects our natural walking around, breathing life. The word of God in your soul. So that your soul and your spirit be in agreement. Isn't that right? And this is to continue. This is a growth process. You grow and you grow and you grow. And that makes your life secure as we continue to lean into the source of our true life. Amen. You know, it takes an, in, uh, an inner strength to live by faith. Oh, no, no. Living by faith is easy. <laughs> you live in a satanic world, son. You think the devil is just going to sit by and go, oh, well, that's what they believe. That's just the way it is. That's that, you saying people think the deep state's going to just lay down and roll over. Come on. That didn't go over very well. Now, Dennis was just here for the Wednesday night service. It was already a few weeks ago. I can't believe it. But what a blessing it was when he was here. And he said things and he taught things that I've heard before. Uh, not, to me, nothing of it was really new. But I began taking notes because I take notes even when I hear things that I've heard before. You know why? Because as I'm taking notes, I'm hearing it again. And I'm writing it down. Therefore, I'm hearing it. I'm seeing it. I'm writing it. So therefore, it's getting in deeper. Because how many of you know when you hear something, you don't know everything about it? Even though you've operated in faith on that word, you still don't know everything about it. There's more to it. So when I hear things, I've heard them before, I still write it down. I still uh, uh, take notes, okay? So as I'm sitting there taking notes and he's talking, as he was talking, things were rolling up on the inside of me. So I'm going to share some of those things with you tonight. Because, see, this is the purpose See, you don't have people come into a church just because they do a good teaching. Oh, they'll give you a good teaching. We don't care about a good teaching. You don't do that. You've got you to do ministries that you're connected with. There's got to be a spiritual connection. I mean, I've had folks come in through the years, and, uh, and they would do a fine service, no blasphemy. That was great. You know, but... They would call me up and say, can I come back and do another service? And I'd tell them, you know, I think your ministry is great and it's wonderful. I think you did a good teaching, but there's no connection in the spirit. And if there's no connection, there's no sense in trying to connect. 
Now, Dennis is an evangelist to the body of Christ. He's not an evangelist to the world. He's an evangelist in the body of Christ. He's also a teacher and operates in the prophetic. So the thing about ministries being connected is that evangelists will proclaim, but then pastors will explain. So the word then can get rooted and grounded in us. Same thing when Brother Terry comes. Same thing when Clyde Oliver comes. You know, and you've seen people where they come and they've been here once, but they haven't been back because there's no connection there. And it's people that I've known for years. But if there's no connection, then we're just playing church. That's just the way I feel about it. And since I'm the pastor, that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> but I do take it very serious about who comes in. I don't need a multitude of people coming in. You know, people say things like, oh, if you have so-and-so come in and all, you'll build your church. You know, Well, that's not the purpose. I'm sorry. And I care about you, your condition, and what you get fed. Amen. So go over to the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 12, and we're going to read it in the New Living Translation. And Zechariah begins with a Z, so you know it's near the end of the Old Testament. <laughs> Zechariah, chapter 8, verse 12. And it's Z-E-C, don't mix it up with the Z-A-C. <laughs> Zechariah 8.12. Okay. Let me read it to you. In the New Living... Oh, there it is. Thank you, Jesus. Can you put it in the New Living Translation, please? I am picky. Yeah, we do. He says, for I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. The grapevines will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce its crops and the heavens will release the dew. Once more, I will cause the remnant in Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. To which we could all jump up and go, glory to God, hallelujah. But you know, I have always one thing to add to it. How? Oh, well, how? We don't know. Well, how about what you're supposed to do? Now, God, this is what God says that he wants to do. But then there's our part. Isn't that right? And it all starts in the first sentence. I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. He's planting what? Seeds. Seeds are being planted in us. Not manifested planted. Seeds are being planted. He didn't say, I'm manifesting this in your life, peace and prosperity. He said, I'm planting seeds 
of peace and prosperity. So seeds have to grow. Isn't that right? Now we know the sower sows the word. So whenever you know about the word and seeds being sown, you got to look at the parable of the sower. And we know that there were four different grounds in the parable of the sower. Number one was the ground that was hard and never received the word. Number two was the ground that was shallow and received the word, but then the scorching sun of troubles came and they lost the word. And then the third was starting to go well, but then stuff started sprouting and they got more concerned with the sprouts and they lost the word. And then there was the one on the good ground that the word bore and brought forth. Isn't that right? Amen. So the sower sows the word and the seeds of the word is what gets planted. So when he says, I'm planting seeds of peace and prosperity, it's his word. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the word of the prophets, the word of the law, the word of ceremonies, the word of rituals, and all the Old Testament things, right? In the New Testament, it's the word of salvation, it's the word of redemption, a word of inheritance, a word of blessing, a word of reverence of God, a word of grace, a word that says we can conform to the image of Jesus. Isn't that right? All right, so there are words in the Bible and the seeds of the word of God are being sown into man, which is the soil. We are the soil of the, of, of the ground. We are the ground that those seeds of the word are being sown into. Amen. Amen. So if we know the parable of the sower, we know that seeds are being sown and we know that we're the soil, the only question remains then is which man in the parable will, will I be? And we'll all yell out, oh, we'll be the good soil, which then begs the next question, how? There's always the how. Because what, most of the time when we say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, that's just like my wife says, you know, well, I'm not going to be like they were. You know, she would say like 30 years ago, I'm not going to be like they were. And I would say, how are you not going to let that happen? How? Because it's one thing to say it and another thing to fall right on into the same old thing. When I was a kid, I said, I will never be like my dad. There were things I didn't like about my dad. I said, I will never be like him. I will never allow in my house what goes on. And when I was 32 years old, I got mad about stuff and started complaining to God about it. And God told me, you're just like your dad. And he didn't say it real nice. I know we always think God's, no, no, no. He, he was pretty straight, straightforward about it. You're just like your dad. So I said, I'm not going to be like my dad. But I never did answer the question, how? And I fell right into the same thing. So there's always the question of how. I mean, we say, oh, yeah, this is what I believe. Oh, yeah, this is what I, oh, this is what I, how? See, that's where you got to settle down into some wisdom of the Word of God and understand how. Because with all that other stuff, you're still the second person 
in the parable of the sower. You're excited. You've received it with joy. Glory to God. Peace and prosperity. Hallelujah. Oh, did you see what happened? I can't believe it happened to me. What happened to the peace? Yeah. And it just flies out the window, just like the second person in the parable of the sower, and you fall away. You didn't fall away from Jesus. He's still savior of your life, but you fell away from that part of living by faith because it didn't go the way you thought it should go. Hello. So which man will we be in the parable? Will we be the one that does not receive the word? Will we be the one that takes the word and falls because troubles come? Will we be the one that has the word grow and allow manifestations and then we lose it because we're worried about everything that God's blessed us with? Running after more stuff. Want God to bless us more. And we start leaving the provider behind. Or are we going to be the good soil that produces after its own kind? Here's the thing. Seeds are being sown. What are we going to do with the seeds? We have to grow them. Isaiah 58, verse 8 in the Amplified Bible. We're coming back to Zechariah. Isaiah 58, verse 8. He says, Then shall your light break forth like the morning, and your healing, your restoration, and the power of a new life shall spring forth speedily. Your righteousness, your rightness, your justice, and your right relationship with God shall go before you, conducting you to peace and prosperity, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Your righteousness. Now, when you got born again, righteousness was imputed to you. But he's not talking about that kind of righteousness. He's talking about practical righteousness, the outworking of righteousness, living a righteous life. And I don't mean the one the Righteous Brothers used to sing about. (laughs) Living a righteous life. What what does the word righteous actually mean in the simplified tense? It means the right way of doing things. The right way of doing things. The right way of acting. The right way of talking. The right way of dealing with others. The right, right way of responding in situations. That's what righteousness is. And everything we do, say, act, respond, is what we think is right until we open the door and allow access to the Lord into our life and find out it's not right and need to change it. Well, so righteousness is practical righteousness. It's a life of righteousness. And righteous living comes because of the seeds of the word that are planted in us meditated on, pondered over, revealed on the inside of us, and then using that faith as the source of my life in every area, and it's continually moving along. So it's not like, oh, yeah, I got faith in that area, and that's good forever. No, no. It's continually moving along because it has to be fresh. Uh, I was talking with, uh, with Brian the other day, your dad, I was talking with him the other day, and he had to change the, um, the upper control arms on his truck. 
the bushings I probably had gone bad, so he had to change. So they sell the whole control arm with the bushings and the ball joint and everything all at once, all in one unit. Well, back when I was a mechanic, they didn't do that. You had to take the control arm out and take the bushings out, and the bushings never wanted to come out. And you're using air hammers and everything else trying to get these bushings out, and it was like, oh, it was always a headache doing this job. You'd get a torch, you'd heat them up, do all kinds of things trying to get this thing out. And um, one day I was in the shop, and I was like, it's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you come out of there. And I just touched it with the air hammer. Boom, the thing shot across the room. I'm like, all right, glory to God. I like that. So the next time an upper A-frame job came in, I had to change the bushings in it. I'm like, okay, we'll bring it out. Trying to get him out, it wouldn't come out. I said, okay, in the name of Jesus, you come out. Mm -mm, nope, not coming out. Well, why not? Well, it was God's will, brother, the first time. No. First time it was faith. The second time, it was just reasoning. Well, it worked the last time. It'll work this time. I've done that with sickness. I wake up in the morning, bad, sore throat, feverish, and everything else. And I'd say, I'm not taking this, glory to God. Jesus bore my sickness and my diseases. By his stripes, I'm healed. I'd go into the bathroom. I'd sit down, put my head on the countertop. And I'm like, I am redeemed from the curse. And, you know, just going through all the scriptures of healing and declaring what Jesus did on the cross, seeing my sickness go into hell and him raising up free from it. And I'm in him now, glory to God. He's free of sickness. I'm free of sickness. Well, I'd pick up my head. The whole countertop is all wet because it just poured out of me. And I went to work and I was fine. Like, glory to God. Well, two weeks later, I woke up, sore throat, feverish. I'm like, oh, I know what to do here. In the name of Jesus, you get out of here. <laughs> you know, no, didn't work. Why not? Because the first time it was faith. Second time it was reasoning. Well, that's what I did before. This is what I can do now. Now I told you the story about my daughter, that she had an allergic reaction. And... Um, we weren't saved at the time, and I was in the hospital at the time. And my wife came home from work, and my daughter was at my mom's house, and she could hear my daughter <coughs> just straining and coughing and all. And so she says, I'm going I'm to go in and, and see Susan. And my mom says, oh, just let her sleep. She'll be fine. There's nothing wrong with her. Well, she goes in there to wake her up. Her eyes are all puffed out and everything. She calls the doctor, and... Uh, the doctor says, you get her into the emergency room right away. And um, my mom, of course, she's like, oh, what are you doing? You don't need it, you know. <laughs> she gets her to the hospital. They in, they're waiting for her at the door. They've got stuff to inject my daughter with. And they said, five minutes. And there'd have been no reversing it. She'd have died. So after we get saved... Some years later, my wife has the same reaction, okay? Her eyes are getting a little puffy and all that. So before we go to bed at night, I says to her, 
do you want to go to the emergency room? See, I'm not the kind of person I'm going to go, well, just move over. I'm going to pray for you. Well, if she don't have faith, your praying is just ridiculous. Stupid. See, because we think we're the hero. You ain't nothing. You're really not. It's just like laying hands on people. Your hands are nothing. Without Jesus holding your hands, there's nothing there. Without Jesus anointing your words, there's nothing there. I don't care if it's stammering lips or great speech. It's got to be anointed or there's nothing there. So, because I, I give, you know, I mean, you know, God lives in her. So I'm going to give her a chance to make a choice. What do you want to do? I always do that. Always a choice. Of course, your choice is based on what you believe. And if you don't believe that you can be healed, then why should I bother? Go get an aspirin. So anyway, so I said to her, do you want to go to the doctor? She says, no, I'm just going to go to sleep. All right, fine. So I go to sleep. Well, the middle of the night, the Spirit of God wakes me up. He says, you need to pray for your wife. Like, okay. So at that same time, Pastor Nid woke up, and she says, I need you to pray for me. I said, I know the Holy Spirit just told me. She says, well, I'll be right back. Well, she didn't make it back. Boom, she collapsed on the floor. So I jump down. I lay hands on her. I start praying in the Holy Ghost because what are you going to pray? You know, I'm praying in tongues for her. And uh, the thought comes, you know, your daughter had the same issue and she almost died. And I said, yeah, well, uh, we didn't know God then. We know God now. God said to pray for her and that's what we're going to do. And I'll go back to praying for her and praying in the Holy Ghost for her. And the thought comes again. You need to get her up off the floor or she's going to die. And I said, nope, she's not going to die. God said pray for her, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for her, and she will be well. And uh, go back to praying again. And here comes another thought. Now, the thought isn't like one after the other. It's a while, and then another thought comes. The next thought comes and says, if you don't get her up off the floor right now, she will die right here in your arms. And I said, if she dies in my arms, God will raise her from the dead. About that time, the peace of God moved into the room. All the thoughts were gone. Everything settled on down in the house. She got up off the floor. Her heartbeat came back. She went to bed, and the next day she did the same thing that caused the problem the other day. <laughs> she says, I ain't going to let nothing hold me down. <laughs> Still does it today. So the point that I'm making is there is a point. But the point that I'm making is, if I dealt with her situation the same way I dealt with my daughter's situation, she wouldn't be past the nid today. You understand? You, it, it's not about how it worked the last time, what happened the last time, because you're just taking your reasoning and figuring now. It's not faith coming up out of you. Amen. So we were talking about seeds of the word and the seeds of the word that have to become revelation and they're fresh revelation. That's why faith is now fresh revelation. Okay. And then he says here that this righteous living will conduct me or bring me down a path of peace and prosperity. It'll bring me to the place of peace. Righteous living will bring you to the place of peace and prosperity. 
Amen. 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 Now, we know that on his path drips what? Fatness. Well, here's some of the fatness. Some of the fatness is peace and prosperity that's on his path. Glory to God. Amen. So it's a lifestyle. This is not about what people think, blab it and grab it. Not just, oh, just say something and things will change. This is not a positive thinking process or a releasing of positive energy like some people think. Let's get all of our positive energy together. They make fragrances for that. <laughs> it's not about any of it. Some of that stuff is just so goofy. I mean, I hear some of this stuff. Let's, we're all going to go down to the Capitol building and get our positive energy going. Oh, come on. And these are supposed to be Christians. Screwballs. Jeez. No, it's all about I'm not ashamed of the word of God, for the word of God is the power of God. The word of God is the power of God. The word of God in my heart, the word of God revealed in my heart is the power of God. It's the power of God in me. It's the power of God through me. Thank you, Jesus. And it brings me down a path of peace and prosperity. And peace is a force that imposes itself on the chaos. You know, you live in a world of chaos. Do you understand that? This is why when your mind is not under control, it runs in all these different directions. You can't keep it still because there's so much chaos out there. Well, peace is a stability of life. Peace is not like, oh, I just I feel so peaceful. That's not peace. It's not about going fishing. It's not about being at the beach. It's not about any of that stuff. That's all natural, soulish stuff. This is about the peace of God in your heart. This is why the armor of God is the peace, the shoes of peace. It's the shoes of stability. That no matter what kind of rough terrain you're on, no matter what you're dealing with, you can be stable and secure in life. Amen. And then, of course, prosperity. Prosperity covers all areas of our life. You know, what good is an abundance of money if you, if you have a deficiency in health? What good is an abundancy of health if everything in your life is falling apart? You can't keep a relationship together. Well, I mean, what good is it? See, prosperity is to affect every area of our life. Now, it's not going to happen all at one time, but the way you allow Jesus into areas of your life, you can go down that path. You can allow the seeds of the word to change the way you think and to change the way you act and therefore change your life, and therefore start bringing you down the path closer and closer to peace in that area and prosperity in that area. Amen? All right, go back over to Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 12. Again, the uh, New Living Translation, Zechariah 8, 12. For I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you, the grapevines will be heavy with fruit. Heavy with fruit. So this is not just having a little bit, having a taste. This is about overabundance. You know, God can do exceeding, exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ever ask or think. The unlimited riches of his glory and his grace. Unlimited. 
what he has is grapevines that are heavy with fruit. That there should be a heaviness of fruit. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You understand? Okay? So just like the parable of the sower. He hears the word. It was sown on good soil. And this is the one that heard the word and understands it and bears fruit. Where does the bearing take place? In me. It bears fruit in me. It changes me. It changes my attitude. It changes my motives. It changes my agenda. It changes my perception. It changes my outlooks. It changes me. And because it bears in me and changes me, then the next part of that verse says, and brings forth. So therefore, what it changes in me then brings forth into my life. How much does it change me? Some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, and that's the manifestation in my life. Yeah. Amen. Glory to God. Heavy with fruit. Seeds are designed to do what? Produce fruit. Take the seed. Take the seed planted. Don't disregard seed. Don't be on the side of the Lord. If you don't understand it, even if you don't like it, take it. The only thing that don't like it is your flesh. God is good. Everything in his word is good. Take it. The earth will produce its crops and the heavens will release its dew. Hallelujah. Because blessing comes from all directions. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Once more, I will cause the remnant in Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. To inherit these blessings. Glory to God. Those blessings are for us, aren't they? Because the inheritance is for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that you would come to know the inheritance that is in the saints. You're a saint, and the inheritance is in you. Amen. We have inherited the blessing, right? Well, the thing about an inheritance, God gives us the inheritance, right? Well, he gave Israel the land. He says, I have given you the land as an inheritance. But what did Israel need to do? They had to go in and possess it. Because it didn't matter if the Amalekites lived there, the Hittites lived there, it didn't matter who lived there, Israel was the rightful owner because God said so. And you're the rightful owner of the inheritance. And you can go in and you can take what belongs to you and take it back from Satan by the authority of the word of God and you can push on him and pressure him and take hold of what God's promised you and snatch it out from his hand that is trying to withhold from you. You're the rightful owner. What is the first definition in the Bible of the word poverty? In the book of Genesis, I believe, when it came to the story of Joseph, and he said that he came to Egypt so that Israel and the, and the sons of Israel would not come to poverty. That's the first time the word poverty was used in the Bible. And it's defined as the driving out of the rightful owner. That's what poverty is, the driving out of the rightful owner. Poverty is not not having money. Poverty is not not being able to get by. Poverty is you being the rightful owner and you've been driven out of what belongs to you. But that blessing belongs to you and you can take hold of it. 
you can go in and possess the land. The meek, those that remain teachable, will inherit the land, is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Amen? So we can go possess the land as the rightful owners. God plants the seeds of peace and prosperity, but it needs to be possessed. Because God said it, it is a settled reality. But it needs to be settled in our life as individuals. We have to get the word in our heart, put it into our mouth, and get it into the choices that we make in life. For Israel to possess the land, they needed to believe what was said and then made decisions accordingly. Act on it with expectation of attaining what was promised. Now, the Moses generation was a rebellious generation, and they would not believe and they would not take hold, but yet the inheritance was there for them and provided for them, but they would not take hold of it. It wasn't God keeping them out. They kept themselves out. But the Joshua generation took hold of it. They believed what Joshua said. Isn't that right? They made a decision to prepare and get ready because they're going to go in and take the land, and they had an expectation that they will attain what was promised because God said so. No matter how impossible it looked, God said it, it's going to happen. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 13. It says, among the other nations, Judah and Israel became symbols of a cursed nation. But no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. So don't be afraid, be strong, and get on with the building of the temple. Hallelujah. Well, the curse has been removed. You know, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the Lord, having been made a curse for us, so that we could be an inheritor of the promise and the provision of the Spirit. Amen. But not only are we blessed but we can be a symbol and a source of that blessing by constantly using faith, constantly using faith. Faith is not there for just times of trouble. Faith is there to live, constantly using faith. Why is it that we only use faith when they have times of trouble? Because we don't understand or recognize trouble when we don't see it. For instance, everything I think, everything I do, everything I act on, everything I respond to, I figure it's right. So I don't see it as trouble. But if I got in the Word and opened up the door to those things and let Jesus come in, whoa, boy, you shine the light on that. We're going to find out. Maybe it's not what it ought to be. Constantly using our faith. The Word of God becomes our source. See, if we constantly use it, then the Word of God is constantly our source. Amen. And not only is it a source to us, but it becomes a source through us for other people. Symbols. Symbols always point away to something else. Symbols never point to themselves. Symbols are never like this. You don't have to point to you. Everybody sees you. But a lot of people do that. They, they're like this. Me, me, you know, it's me, me. 
Well, that's not a symbol. A symbol always points to something else. Have you ever been in a foreign country and uh, everything was written in a foreign language and you're looking for signs for something that you might need? You know? First time I went to Thailand, the only English I could ever read was Coca-Cola and Pepsi. That was it. Nothing else was in English. Well, the Coca-Cola sign was a symbol that pointed to Coca-Cola. I couldn't go drink the sign. Is that right? Symbols always point away to something else. Symbols point and impacts. Oh, I can get some Coke over here. Boy, I haven't had Coke in a long time. So that symbol that was pointing to something could impact me. God's made us to be a symbol to point to him, to impact others. You know, Jesus said, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. You know what that means? <laughs> Whether you want to or not, you'll be a witness because the vine is known by the fruit. The fruit grows on the limbs. We're the limbs. Jesus is the vine. People will know the vine or have an opinion of the vine just based on the fruit they see in our life. Sometimes there's sweet fruit. Sometimes there's ugly fruit. <laughs> We're working on getting rid of the ugly fruit. <laughs> but we can be a symbol of the blessings of God, the inheritance that he's given to us. We can be a symbol. And, um, you know, being a symbol doesn't always mean Being extravagant. Somebody can just see you. See the way you dress. See the way you look. See the way you keep yourself groomed. That can be a symbol to others of the blessings of God. You know, I learned this a long time ago. You are never have to be ashamed, nor do you need to apologize for the blessings of God, if God has truly given them to you. You never have to be ashamed of it. You never have to apologize for it. It's a blessing of God. And if people don't like it, they're probably covetous. It's true. Because no matter how much the blessing of God you may have, the covetous will not see it. The jealous will despise it. And those living in a dry place will scrounge for the same thing. And they'll only get it with sorrow.
Why is it so many times we are ineffective in our witness? Whether it be just a lifestyle, whether it be in words, however that witness may be. Why is it that many times we're ineffective in our witness? Many times we're trying to convince the rebellious. We're trying to pacify tantrums. We're trying to explain to the covetous and the jealous instead of just being a symbol of the inheritance and speaking from the source of life. It's all you have to do. Because the choice is up to them, it's not up to you. The, big, the, the first 18 months, I believe it was, of the Apostle Paul's ministry, he spent it debating, he spent it arguing, and he spent it getting the nonsense beat out of him. Until one day, going over the hill into Corinth, he said, I have determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And if Jesus don't show up, then I ain't got nothing for you. And that's when his ministry started to change. But we do that so many times. How many times did Jesus walk along and people would question him, argue with him, try to trap him? Do you think he stopped to go, now wait a minute, guys, let me explain to you what I really meant by that. We do that because we're so afraid of their flesh, Mike. You're trying to minister to their flesh? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're trying to minister to their flesh. No wonder there's no advancements. They're spirit beings. And if you cannot touch their spirit, you have nothing for them. And pacifying this little ugly thing is not going to help. You know what this does? All it's going to do is create more tantrums when you don't give them what they want. Was that, did that sound tantrum-like? Yeah. <laughs> it's all it does. Yeah, I know. I've had them. We ought to be a symbol of the inheritance and speak out from the source of life. So that choices can be given, and the choice would be to receive it or not to receive it. So he goes on to say here, so don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with the rebuilding, with rebuilding the temple. So don't be afraid. Be strong. That you would have unveiled within you the unlimited riches of his grace and his glory so that you would be filled with strength in the inner man, with his divine might and explosive power. Be strong. Be strong. Strong is not a, it's, it's not a personality trait. Per, strong is not an attitude. Strong is not a mean-looking face. Strong is just a sense and, and place in spirit. Strength of spirit. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how ugly your face can get. They'll never get as ugly as Satan's. But strength of spirit he can't stand against. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Don't be afraid any longer. Be strong. Strength in the face of opposition. Strength to continue in faith despite persecution. Strength of grace to walk above all of it. 
This is why the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Because it's a strength of grace that you can walk above everything you're doing that's coming against you. Hearing the word of God spoken within us separates us from the effects of what we might suffer. Amen. Hallelujah. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with rebuilding your life. You are the temple of the living God. Get on with building your life. Open the doors wide and let Jesus into every area of your life. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to let him in. Be strong. Be strong. Let him in. Let him in. Get on. Rebuild your life. Stop being satisfied with, with living in two rooms of a, of a 15 room mansion. Get in all the rooms. Open up all the doors. Let Jesus into every area of your life. Be strong to constantly use your faith. Constantly using faith to live by. You need to be strong. Be strong so that the God of peace can impose on the chaos. Amen. Not soul peace. You know, a lot of times we settle for soul peace. Well, I just want everything to be okay. Soul peace. You know what soul peace is? Compromise. You're compromising with the devil. That's soul peace. Well, I just want everything to be okay. Be strong. And it will be okay. Sometimes you got to take that soul peace, them emotions, and throw them all in the air. And then you can get the bat and play batter up. <laughs> Soul peace is the biggest enemy to the peace of God. You need God peace. God peace imposes on the chaos. Be strong to live righteously. Not turn to the right or to the left or veer off the path. Because on his path drips fatness of peace, fatness of prosperity. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. Glory, glory, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just bow your heads for a moment. If you're on live stream podcast, just bow your heads for a moment. Just, just one moment more. Holy Spirit, we've shared the word that you had us to share. And I'm just asking you right now to confirm the word. For there are things in all of our lives that needs help, that needs work. You know what they are. You are the one that uses our spirit as a candle to search all of our inward parts. You know what goes on in us. And we're just asking you to bring these things to the forefront in our life so that we can deal with it and work on it through the Word of God. Lord, I know that you're not going to bring up 15, 20 things. And if we start looking at 20 things that need to change, we understand that that's either our flesh or the devil. But you're going to bring up just one thing that we need to work on. So we ask you to make those things known to us 
so that we can work on it. So that line upon line and step by step, little here and little there, we can walk down this path. That we can become righteous in other areas of our life. The areas that we didn't let you in on before. We're letting you in now. We're opening the door to you and saying, come in. Come in, Jesus. Look around. Tell me what you see. Tell me what needs to be changed. Be my interior decorator. Tell me what I need to renew, what I need to repair, what I need to change. And I will take hold of your word and I'll get it in my heart. Put it in my mouth till it becomes part of my choices and I will choose righteously and I will continue on it and walking down that path into peace and prosperity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do these things. Hallelujah. We receive that right now. We receive it from you right now. We receive it to be so. Receive it to be true. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So just expect in the days ahead that the Holy Spirit will show you some things. And um, we'll have an opportunity to work on them in our life and change them so that we can do things in his right way of doing. Amen. Amen. Father, we bless you and praise you, Father. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you so much for your word, Father. Thank you that for everyone and anyone within earshot of what was said tonight, whether it was on a live broadcast or whether it was on archive, whether it's in the room or whether it's on social media, wherever it might be, Father, I just thank you that your anointing goes forth in power and it opens up our eyes and by your anointing, yokes have been removed. Eyes have been opened. Hearts have received. And lives are ready to be changed. Lord, I thank you for it. I bless you and I praise you for that, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as we come before you, Lord, with our giving, we come and sow our seed because you have said that giving is a righteous act. And it's righteous because it's the right way of doing things and the right way of dealing with our finances. So we come before you to sow our seed, to bring our first fruits, or to bring in our tithe. And as we do so, we declare what your word says over our form of giving so that it brings increase into our life, so that we can be blessed. And as a symbol and a source of this blessing, we can be a blessing to others. We thank you for it. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us again on live stream or on podcast. We're glad you could be with us tonight. I do pray that the word of God has really touched you and brought increase into your thinking and into your believing and that it has stirred up on the inside of you an excitement and a ready readiness to press in and go further in the things of God. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net, and click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything at all that we can pray with you about, please let us know. It's always a privilege to pray and stand with our partners and believe in God for your needs to be met. 
Amen. 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 Before Pastor Morgan prays, uh, let me just say that in the foyer, there are still some tax receipts on the table. So if you have not picked yours up yet for 2023, please pick up your tax receipts.